Hey, everybody, when you hear that beautiful music, the title in town of Chicago, you know it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. It's Jamie Uretsky, and it is a beautiful April day. It's opening day in Kansas City, unfortunately, due to the horrendous COVID-19 pandemic that we're all having to live with. We aren't going to be out at the K to watch the game, and wouldn't you know it, the sun's out. It's a beautiful day. But to brighten your spot, and the reason we keep doing this through uh, these troubling times, I've got one of my favorite guys in the world and his son, who happens to be a soon-to-be back in the major leagues. I've got Bob Solis and his son, Sammy, on this beautiful day on the lighter side of baseball. Hey, guys, how are you doing? Great. Thanks for having us. Hey, Sammy. Jamie, all good. is good in Phoenix, man, so we're missing opening day here, too. Nice day. Well, and we're on this uh, new high-tech Zoom. And up on my screen, I, it outlines in yellow when one of you starts to talk. So this is my production crew can take the day off. <laughs> well, well, Jamie, your production crew consists of yourself. So thank God for helpful technology. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah. When we're done here, I actually send it to somebody who sort of edits it. And I joke around that that's my production crew. But be that as it may. Sammy, how are you doing? We We've talked to your dad a lot. We don't really care about him quite yet, but how are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm living out in D.C. right now um, where I formerly played for the Nationals and actually met my, I met my now fiancé uh, while I was playing out here. So we're, we're hanging in there. Um, I think she's ready to, to get me out of the house a little bit. You know, the, the quarantine isn't so fun for her, I think, with me and her hair all the time. So we're just trying to stay sane out here. You know, I think everybody is trying to make the adjustment and figure out what what can be done. My son is in Alexandria, and uh, he works for uh, a patent firm out there. And, uh, you know, they're working at home, and it's, it's uh, two kids, and it's a whole lot to get used to. But uh, hopefully, in the uh, world of baseball, hopefully we're getting close to second base and get around to third and get, get on with uh, – baseball for 2000 yeah i mean this is the first time in, in 10 years i haven't been at the field every day so you know yeah. it feels a little a little strange to me not to be throwing the ball around but uh you know since i'm recovering from a surgery anyway this kind of works out well and i was visiting with Dwayne stats earlier and he was laughing that you know this time of the year he never sees the light of day because he's in that horrendous ballpark in tampa bay <laughs> and so he was marveling at the fact that it stayed light till eight or nine o'clock down in Florida. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that place, you know, I, I've played there once and I'll tell you, it's not, it's not the greatest ballpark I've been to. Uh, I would recommend blowing up. Bob, how are things in Phoenix? <laughs> All is good, Jamie. We're uh, hanging in there. Sally's taking the social distancing to a new level. She's changed the locks on the house. So I sleep out back by the pool <laughs> and, well, um, she After. seems much happier about this, so it's all good, but uh, everybody's healthy, which is the main thing. Well, after spending a little time in South Africa with Sally in January, I, I'm surprised she hasn't done more than change the locks. <laughs> <laughs> 35 years of wedded bliss, what can we say, you know, at least Thank for you. me. I know Kay shares the same feeling. I mean, uh, the... Um, the house just isn't big enough, but we do, and we're able to. I I can't figure this out. We're able to go play golf, which to me is a little bit crazy. But in yeah. Kansas, 
they haven't shut down the golf course. So once a week, we and, and the way I hit the ball, I can socially distance with the group. <laughs> right. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Arizona closed pretty much everything, but the courses are open uh, as an essential service to humanity or something. Yeah. Well, if you uh, if your memory is good, Bob, about 30 days worth, you and Kay and I had uh, had lunch in Phoenix. And then after that, we went to California, then we went to Chicago, then we came back to Kansas City, and every place we went, as soon as we got past the uh, the border at the state, it seemed like they closed down any activity in that state. So we were kind of like, I don't, I don't take that personally, but it was kind of a weird deal. I, I think there's a pattern that's been established here, um, and you know, it's not a surprise that the authorities are on to you, J- Jamie. So, well. Let's talk to Sammy a little bit about what's going on in your life besides getting ready to get married and trying to yep. rehab have your arm. How's it going? It's good. You know, obviously things have kind of slowed down a bit. Um, you know, seeing a physical therapist every day, that kind of thing, and and training. But uh, you know, because no gyms are open now, even PT. Um, you know, if you're a non-essential person who is recovering from a major injury, um, they can't be hands-on with you. So it honestly, days are consisting of walking my dog um, and uh, and throwing against a fence at the park because that's all I can do. Well, so, don't throw uh, too, don't not, too hard yet, man. <laughs> oh no, definitely not. It's you, it's not a major hey, league operation here. Look at this as I'm sure you have a blessing in disguise and. Uh, it gives you a chance. It's kind of like in a in the twenty four hour Le Mans when there's a delay, you get to lap, you get to catch up to the leader. So, hopefully, exactly. uh, take advantage of this horrendous situation we all find ourselves in. And, and yeah, uh, you know, it's just given me a little time to kind of get my feet back under me. And and uh, hats off to my fiance because she's we literally we have one baseball. I'm throwing it against a fence. She goes and gets it, tosses it back to me, and we do that over and over. So. Well, you, you um, found a winner. <laughs> your dad, uh, your dad sent me a picture of the dog, and and I'm surprised you haven't been able to train train the dog to go get the ball and bring it back. Oh to no, you. he he doesn't care about anyone but himself. So unless I'm tossing a treat to him, he's not getting up. Oh, uh, that's hilarious. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So yep. in the grand scheme of things, when do you think um, you would? When would you have started to throw again? And now with all the physical therapy, maybe not being there and maybe not having the gym to go. And what, what's your, what's the change in your schedule? Well, you know, thankfully I was able to build enough of a base um, that I don't need to be hands-on with a PT every day. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm still doing my resistance bands work. You know, it's just, it's all on my own now. I don't have someone guiding me, but I've done this enough and I've had enough injuries unfortunately, where I, I could almost be a physical therapist myself, I think. So um, it's, it's honestly, it's not too bad. It's, it's, not, it's not as bad as it could be. And we're just trying to stay as safe as we can, you know, with the social distancing and all that, um, especially because my fiance, she's a surgical resident at the Inova Fairfax Hospital here. So she's, uh, she's exposed to it a little bit more than, than we'd like. But, uh, you know, we're doing what we can. Well, bless her for that activity, man. You know, the, yep. those, those folks that are on the front lines are fighting the battles that, uh, that everybody is, is uh, you know, praying they can succeed. It's a, it's yeah. a scary situation because nobody's really dealt with this in our lifetime. 
No, exactly. That's what I keep hearing is, is, you know, you talk to even the 60 and older crowd and everyone's saying, man, I don't, you know, I've never seen anything quite like it. And, and then being so close to it with Odette working at the hospital, you know, she, she goes in for a shift, she has to shower there, she comes home and she, because they don't have as much, as many masks and supplies as they'd like, she has to throw her masks into the oven and bake them so that it'll kill the virus if it's there and then she'll reuse it. You know, it's just, it's kind of an unprecedented thing. Well, that, that, yeah. man, that is not good. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a little scary and it's hard to get off that topic just because it's affecting everything, you know, about our day-to-day -day activity out here. Right. But when your father's a left-handed third baseman for a rotten baseball team in college, we can get off. The <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, they never when, let me close when, to third base, believe me. When we were in St. Croix, we had, you know, we pretended to have softball games when it wasn't raining. And, you know, I've taken the field and I'm looking at your dad and he goes, yeah, I played third base lefty. I go, okay, good. That was a, that I'm luckily your son pitches. <laughs> yep. Well, he's still trying to sneak me in at short at some point, trying to bat me lead off. I do have one hit in the big league. So hey, man, we're you know, trying to get a few more. You're, you know, your dad keeps sending uh, video highlights and if I get five more I'm gonna think you're gonna get nominated for the Hall of Fame <laughs> Every. Yeah, I was gonna say there's he's running out of the good ones I think we're gonna have to start going to the backups here soon man I'm telling you what when <laughs> you uh, uh, you know get Joey Votto looking baby that's all right but nothing tops that hit that was a great hit <laughs> well I appreciate that that was uh that was my second at bat since high school so, you know, I'm facing guys in high school probably slinging 82, 83 up there. And then I get out there and against the D-backs, the guys throwing 96. That was a bit of a surprise. Well, and in, in this time of doing nothing, I watched more than I should of MLB Network. And I loved one, the only, one guy I like there is Plezak. And they showed his hit. And it was like, it was pretty hysterical to, to, to watch that and then to have his commentary on it. So <laughs> I love sure. it. Yeah, they're starting to starting to mic those guys up too. You know, it's always you kind of get a little bit of an input on on what's going on inside guys' heads when they're when they're mic'd up on the field. Yeah, it is well, funny. It is funny. But, but I think it's wild, uh, Jamie. Is especially if you're a National League relief pitcher. I mean, people think that you pick up a bat. Sammy literally hadn't touched a bat when he went up to the plate in in probably eight years. Like, I'm not talking about. I mean, ever, like never. Yeah, we I mean, don't ever practice it. I mean, yeah, never. So they don't even yeah, do I, bunning. I faced Matt Latos in 2015, my rookie year, and and that was literally the first live pitch I had seen since May 2007. Holy cow! Yeah, so that was that was interesting. Broken bat roll over to second, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so so where's where's the ball? From your hip. Uh, you oh, know what? God. That one, the first, the first. Uh, I got it, Sam. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure my parents have this mantle at home. We got all the, all the special memorabilia up there. That's awesome. That yeah, is awesome. It's, it's a cool thing to have at home, you know, because you dream of it, you know, but now being able to see it kind of in person sitting up there, first strikeout, first pitch, you know, all that is, is pretty cool. No, no, no. And we, you know, any friend of your dad's has followed every pitch of your career, uh, yours truly included. And uh, I had 
the uh, good fortune to see you a couple times at Wrigley Field. Once, once I think your dad showed up to say hello, and then as soon as, uh, yeah. as soon as your name, you were introduced, your dad was running for the uh, concession stand. I think. <laughs> I'm sure you're yep. more than familiar with his odd quirk, which that is Bob. Oh yeah, can't watch a game. I mean, you know, even going back to, I was 12, 13 years old in my club ball games. You know, I'm pitching, and you can see him standing in right field up in the parking structure because he can't be there in the stands with anyone. <laughs> um, unbelievable. Yeah. You got to be known for something, Jamie, and I'm kind of the where's Waldo of the baseball world. So, uh, but I just too too nervous to sit down um, <laughs> when when, they, when he takes the hill. So, oh, that's funny. It's all right. Well, one of you tell me we can get the. Uh, perspective from from each one of you but uh bob why don't you uh jump out and explain how in the world you got hooked on baseball and then uh, how you transformed that to uh, your kids sure i um you know like most kids growing up in the midwest i grew up in minneapolis and we played we all played usually three sports and uh and i did all the way through high school i played you know football basketball and baseball and um Baseball was always my favorite, and it's just because I was best at it um, and ended up going on a half-ride scholarship to Notre Dame where I did not play third base but, <laughs> but was a left-handed pitcher on the for the Fighting Irish from sure. 1980 to 84. And we were pretty lousy. I mean, we, we'd be about 500 every year, but we were, you know, playing Big Ten schools and stuff. Um, and it was quite interesting because we only had two scholarships on the team. And I had one half of one, and then three other guys had a half. So, so we had two scholarships, and we'd be playing the Big Ten schools, and they had 11 and a half, which is the maximum. So the fact that we were even 500 was actually pretty decent because it was basically a team of walk-ons. And, uh, and then as soon as Notre Dame got the NBC football contract, right. the next year they had the full 11 and a half scholarships wow. in baseball. So uh, football wow, that, for everything there. That's pretty. Um, uh, that's a pretty interesting deal because I think I've told you I went to Southern Methodist University, the only team to ever get the death penalty. It wasn't the baseball team. Right. But, uh, before they eliminated the program, we only had one scholarship of which I didn't get. And back then, this was in the '60s, Sammy. You didn't have a a limit to fall ball and you we played 85 games in the spring so yes. i would say that the team oh my gosh the team probably played 105 games and <laughs> my freshman year i got into one game and and so you would have thought that that might have discouraged me from going out the next year on a team we probably won seven games all year oh man oh geez and we oh, were worse one scholarship my pretty tough we were worse my second all the guys from the football program didn't want to go to spring practice so they'd come over and play baseball uh, and i mean we we were so bad they they eliminated that they paid all the money to the football players illegally rest is history oh my Crazy. god i'm i'm wondering how you guys could fit in 85 games into a college season well it's you know by not going to class <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, and back then, Sammy, you had, um, you know, I don't think computers had been invented. Well, I know they hadn't been. So 
your excuses from class were on paper. And you know, the, the every week you'd get $30 of laundry money and okay. And you'd get your excuses for class and then of course if you were innovative you could take the April 1 and turn that into April 9th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just uh never went to class. And That's then, genius. Yeah, it was it was great. But oh my uh, God. We, you know, Notre Dame, man, you know, that's, that's big time after the uh, football contract. Is that, did that have anything to do with the end of your career? Or did you get one of those scholarships, Bob? I, uh, they got it after I left. I think they got it in 86. I left in 84. So there were a couple more years with two scholarships and now they're a fairly competitive team. You know, they're not, they're, they made, they made it to Omaha one or two years. Uh, but they're not that good. But I remember those days, um, Sam, because this is before your time, they, they didn't have a, a, a uniform start time to college baseball, which they do now. I think everybody starts like February 20th. But back in the day, you just started whenever you could play. So I went into a game at Oklahoma against the Sooners as a relief pitcher my freshman year, and they were 22-0. and and we had not been outside. Wow. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So I mean, we had not been outside. So it was just like, it, it was not a fair fight at all. I mean, we wouldn't have beat them anyways. But it was just like unbelievable how it was stacked for the southern, yeah, the southern public schools just dominated college. Well, that was. I mean, you know, I went to the University of San Diego, and that was the beginning. First few weeks of our season too was playing all the Northeast teams. Mm-hmm. Guys that had just been, you know, you're taking ground balls in the in the gym, you yeah. know, and then you, you come and play us, and we've been in 75 degrees in sun, you know, for the past three months. It wasn't it wasn't a fair fight then either. Yeah. Well, and the same yeah. same thing, yeah. you know, SMU's in Dallas, so all the teams that hadn't played came down there and kicked the shit out of us. You know, yeah. the other yeah. we we didn't benefit at all from the cold weather, hot weather. <laughs> we got beat. We got beat, and since this is a podcast, I can say shit, but <laughs> don't very often. Yeah. So, Bob, did you get Sammy into baseball, or did he just happen to find a dad that was more qualified? Yeah, no, I think maybe a mixture, but um, I remember, you know, I am a passionate baseball fan, softball as well, because I have three daughters, and so I distinctly remember when we had our first child, who was a, our oldest daughter, Alicia, and my, da- my wife said, Sally said, uh, do you think they'll play baseball and softball? And I said, oh, absolutely no pressure at all. They can play whatever position they want. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, obviously when you're passionate about something, I coached all the teams. I was in the backyard when the kids were two. Um, and I, you know, obviously Sammy was extremely talented from a young age. I'm, I'm talking about Going back to T-ball, what I coached his T-ball team called the Cubs, of course, Jamie, as you might imagine. And if you had noticed, I'm wearing coach my Cubs. And I changed it from the Dodgers to the Cubs immediately. <laughs> I'm wearing my Cubs shirt, man. My first move. And um, so we're playing this really good team that had won the title all the time, you know, every year. And so I'm like, well, let's put Sammy in left field because maybe, you know, they'll hit it out there. Well, if you've been around four and five-year-old T-ball, there is never in the history of the game has there been a ball caught in the outfield, ever. 
And uh, and that game, Sammy caught three deep fly balls on the run. And people were laughing their heads off because they just couldn't believe that, like, somebody could track a fly ball at five years old. Yeah. But uh, but he did that, and, and he just, from an early age, he got on a travel ball team at age 10 with the same kids he played all the way through at uh, age 18, and they won the Connie Mack World Series in uh, in Farmington, New Mexico when he was 18, and he, he pitched a four-hit shutout in the, in the championship game. But literally, he was always just exceptional, and I'm not saying that because he's my son. I'm just saying that because – he was quite good. And, and when I first thought, well, maybe there's something here beyond just playing in high school, was he, uh, his ninth grade year of baseball, he made the varsity team as a pitcher, of course. And then when he didn't pitch, he'd play on the freshman team at first base so he could play with his buddies and hit. So I went to a game on the road against our rivals, and he was in ninth grade pitching. And I, I went behind home plate. And I talked to a scout who was there, pro scout was there, but he, he was there to see somebody else, obviously, not a ninth grader. And I said to the scout, I said, hey, what's this kid throwing? You know, he didn't know I was related to Sammy. And he said, he said, well, pretty much every fastball is 91 miles an hour. And, um, and the guy was kind of in awe because Sammy was in ninth grade. So at that point, that was the first time in my brain I thought, well, you never know. Maybe maybe he'll be able to do something with this, which of course he did. So, hey, Bob, was that was that the one and only time you actually saw him throw a pitch? Yeah, well, I watched <laughs> him, but I just watched him from different angles: uh, left field, right field. Uh, but I I was Always. so curious what he was throwing because it was the first time somebody had a radar gun on him, sort of. So, all right. So Sammy, let's hear let's hear the real story. How you got? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Well, I didn't have much choice, but um, yeah. no. I mean, you know, even looking back, you watch our home videos as kids, and I'm, I'm almost, you know, I could barely speak at this point, and you still hear us saying, "We're going to watch the Twins, Dad." We're, you know, this whole thing where yeah, we grew up Twins fans because we're living in Minnesota. I was born in Minnesota. But then, you know, my dad's whole family was Cubs fans, so we kind of latched onto that as well. Um, you know, so it started from from literally having a baseball in my crib, um, that kind of thing, to just playing ball. I mean, it, you know, in, in its infancy in Arizona, club baseball just started when I was uh, coming into in my own in, in the baseball world. So I was 10 years old. Club baseball kind of picked up there were probably five or six teams in all of Arizona at that point. Now there's got to be 1500, yeah. you know? So we, I got onto this team um, where we're playing pretty high level baseball for our age. I mean, it's the best kids in the Valley versus the best kids out in Tucson versus the best kids up North in Flagstaff. Um, in and Flagstaff. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And then, and then we start going to national tournaments and that kind of thing. And I think where I kind of hit my stride in, in regards to being not only good at baseball, but loving baseball was, was club baseball playing in, in this kind of competitive world of, um, it's actually funny now playing against all these big leaguers. I'm like, Oh man, I used to play you when you were on the San Diego Cobras when we were 11 years old, you know, baseball is a very small world, um, at the highest level. So yeah. I would say that once I, once I developed a skill and then, and then a love for it, um, you know, it just kind of carried into high school and into, 
college at USD and then, and then I got drafted and the rest is history. So, you know, I, it's so funny growing up a Cubs fan, I could tell you now there's not a team I hate more. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's funny about that is I, I have for the last few years predicted to your dad and I'm sure much to his chagrin that I see you in the, uh, on the north side in the bullpen. Yeah. And I, I always tell your dad, remember Paul Ossenmacher, big lefty, <laughs> got got guys out, and uh, he, it seemed like he pitched for 55 years. I mean, it seemed like <laughs> he was around forever. Yeah, I'd take that. I mean, you know, baseball is tough. They, they tell you, you know, it's, it's easy to, to get to the big leagues. It's hard to stay there. Well, and you see that a lot. You know, there's so many big leaguers with two years of service, three years of service, you know, but how many guys get, get 10 years? 5%. Well, there's two, there's two guys on this podcast that would give anything for a cup of coffee that lasts <laughs> a yeah. I'll tell yeah. you, it, sure. is, it is a cool experience. I would have taken a cup of coffee at that point, too, but, uh, you know, I'm well, one of the fortunate ones. You know, at the, middle, at the middle point of your career and 140 and some odd appearances, you know, and all these video clips your dad digs out, that, that is a, an impressive time, a, a, a spectacular accomplishment. But I just, I know that, uh, that there's more in there for you. And, oh, uh, yeah, there definitely I, is. I think that um, we're, we're all kind of closet managers, and we can all you know, see when somebody was overused. I'm not naming names. I'm not going to get <laughs> critical with it. Now, I will tell you this, Sammy, that, um, and, and you don't have to comment at all, but for the yeah. beginning last year, for the first 10 or 15 podcasts, there was a team that I ripped the general manager on or president or whatever they call these guys yeah. repeatedly. And then your old teammate, I had a dog watch between Machado and a guy you used to, in fact, a guy that uh, I think you were drafted in the next slot after that guy got drafted. So yep. I'm sure they're good guys, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm blessed with not knowing anybody in a podcast that I can say pretty much what I want because I don't have a sponsor that would back me up. So I had a good time, and I, I, I know there's more in it for you uh, later. But talk a little bit about when you did get drafted because uh, it seemed to me – that in your college career that I followed sort of through your dad, it didn't seem like you were injured much, if any. Uh, you know what's funny? I actually did miss my entire sophomore year with an injury. Um, Tell how much my, I uh, followed your career. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I did. I, uh, I injured my back weightlifting in the fall of 2000, uh, let me think, 2008. Okay. Um, going into my sophomore year and uh and that put me out the entire year um so i I went back home after the semester ended to Arizona rehabbed and came back um two thousand nine to two thousand ten, which is when I was drafted um and it you know it's funny because i I was always a good ball player in, in college and i was you could say I was a prospect, but I was never like a top tier prospect you know it was like okay, we got a lefty that throws hard but who knows, you know, if he's got the big league stuff or whatever. And then the draft came around and, and um, you know, I didn't get taken in the first round, which at the time you think is the absolute end of the world when it's, it's really not, um, you know, and I ended up getting taken the second day um, first pick off the board, which was really special, you know, seeing my dad and giving him a hug and the whole thing. Uh. And then, 
And then the whole thing starts, you know, and yeah. you, you, you go out to Florida where our spring training facility was and, and it, you know, you're with all these guys that got taken, you know, everyone's doing their physicals, everyone's all excited. But what you really realize is no matter where you're picked, you're all on an even keel now, you know, you're all starting in rookie ball. You're all eating from the same tray of gray eggs they give you every morning. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just funny how you think like, Oh God, they got to be living the rock star life. When in reality, no way. I mean, I'm living at the La Quinta hotel in a Walmart parking lot for three years. Yeah. So, you know, it's, that's just kind of how everyone's career starts. And some guys get there quick, you know, some guys Rendon, I don't think spent, he might've spent like a month in the minor leagues before he got called up. And then you got the journeyman, you know, that we still have one guy, I think Adrian Sanchez with the nationals that has 10 full years in the minor leagues, something like that. It's, you know, it's just out of control. So yeah. I consider myself blessed that I was able to get out of there and get to the big leagues for at least a few years, you know, but, uh, Got to start that whole process again here in the next year. There you go. Well, yeah, um, I'm a little familiar with it. Back way back when, our good buddy Nelly came to me and 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 said, you know, a lot of these guys with the he and he was coaching with the White Sox. A lot of these guys don't have any representation, and uh, they could really use some help. And so he and I started a company called Pro Sports Inc. And we, you know, Nelly, he had so many good qualities, but one quality that not a lot of people gave him a ton of credit for was his ability to scout out kids. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, he had a nose for talent. And so we signed up 20 or 25 friggin' White Sox, and I, then I signed up a couple guys on the Royals and then a guy named Nelson Sanovania that was with the Expos back then. But we had – Ron Karkovice, Johnny Cangelosi, Kenny Williams, who's the president of the White Sox. And we had a yep. bunch of guys that we signed up, nurtured through the minor leagues, and then they fired me as soon as they got to uh, a major league clubhouse, except for one or two guys who, whose careers fizzled out. But the thing that I would always go to spring training and I'd always go see them play at least one minor league game, whether they were in the, mm -hmm. in the New York Penn League or wherever they were, yeah. and uh, – the same what struck me as as an outside guy was number one there's 200 kids in minor league camp when they yes open, and they're all dressed the same and they all were studs somewhere mm -hmm. and psycho i always thought psychologically the road to the major leagues was a lot more difficult than the physical part now you yeah you did it how what what's your thought on that oh you're 100 percent right i mean you know when you get into pro ball, you sign that contract, you get out to your spring training spot and you, you meet all these players, every single player on your team in your clubhouse was the best player on their little league team, on their high school team, on their college team, you know, just to get drafted is, is a feat, you know, in of itself. But, but you realize that, that the thing that puts you ahead of everyone is not only work ethic, but, but the mental game. You know, because how do you, how do you take these twelve-hour bus rides through the night, and then you got to make a start the next morning in 150 degrees in Rome, Georgia? Right. You know, it's these things you have to overcome, and that I mean, I think that's a big reason Major League Baseball hasn't really stepped in and taken care of minor leaguers um, like some people think they should, myself as well, because it's almost like you got to pay your dues, and the dues are they're they come at a high price. You know, some guys fizzle out right away. They go, they go through one summer and they're like, I'm not, I'm not doing this thing for 
a thousand bucks a month. Right. You know, and it's, it is a grind. I spent, I spent, uh, before I got to the big leagues, I spent five years in the minors. So it's, it's tough, you know, and they don't, they help you as much as they can. Obviously they're developing you at the field every day, but, but man, you know, the, the food's tough, you know, you're not making any money. The fields, I mean, the, the grounds are absolutely miserable. I mean, I remember in, in Hagerstown before a game, we're taking BP and the light tower, one of our light towers falls onto the field. <laughs> you know, we're, we're dealing with those kind of conditions. So, um, you know, and then, and then the thing falls on the field and you're like, all right, well, we got to get a bus and go to their place now and play for two weeks straight while they clean this thing up. You know, so it's, it's just, you can't even describe the grind. And you know, what's so funny is they've actually started, um, there's an Instagram account called minor league grinders where they show the dark side of the minor leagues. And it's yeah. absolutely fantastic. If anyone wants to check it out, cause well, it yeah. just makes me laugh. Cause every picture I see on there, I'm like, Oh, I have a story about that. Yeah, which is is incredibly cool, and yeah. you know, then you've got the dichotomy between prospects and guys that aren't really guys that sign for a lot of money, or that yeah. and and the money has changed through the years. But I can remember, you know, I was negotiating with Dave Dombrowski for contracts for five hundred dollars versus six hundred dollars, and yep. you know, there really wasn't much you could do, but these kids would, you know, they'd call, Oh, you know, Jamie, these guys, they just don't respect me. They don't talk to me. They don't, you've heard everything I'm sure. And then they go, well, these prospects I'm hitting, you know, 50 points higher than this guy, but they won't give me the time of day. And I go, dude, you know, the one thing about baseball is it's a statistical game. If you can, if, if you can hit 300 or, save every game you get into in the in spring training, they're going to look at you no matter who you are. But, God, it's got to be a grind. No, it, it is. I mean, I'll tell you that prospects, you do get more opportunity. You know, I was blessed enough to be a prospect in the beginning of my career. And it's not so much that you get a leg up. It's more that they allow you to fail more. Right. You know, you're, you're allowed a, a bad season. You know, whereas where you're the, you're the 49th pick, um, you know, with an ERA of, of four and a half or five, they're like, you know what, we're going to move on to the next guy. Yeah. So because they make that investment, you know, it's a business more than anything. So, you know, they, they give you a certain amount of money and they, they let you play. And, and for the first few years, it's just kind of developing and, you know, all right, he's, he's working on his pitches and he's, you know, he's coming along, but we're going to give it another season. You know, you're allowed that kind of buffer zone. Whereas, as a, you know, a late, a later round pick, um, who might be throwing up the same numbers you are just isn't going to get the time. Yeah. Um, I, can, I remember after you had arm surgery, I happened to, my sister lived in Melbourne. So my brother-in-law oh, okay. out, called your dad, he called you and we met you after a practice. And I remember, you know, the coaches are saying, you know, don't throw the ball, don't even feel the bunt and do anything, but just, you know, be there, run and, Yep. And after watching you at practice and then talking to you, I called your dad and I go, you know, one thing about Sammy, he's in a pretty good mood <laughs> because the, uh, you know, the, you can obviously when the pressure is off a little bit, uh, it's a big change from when you are healthy and you are trying to succeed to get on that 25 yeah. man roster, man. It's no, that's, that's so sure. great that, that you've done it. Yeah. yeah, you know, I appreciate that. I'll, it's funny 
the minor league dynamic and the big league dynamic are completely different because in minor league games, when you're especially at AAA, you know, when you're on a AAA team, most of the guys have big league time. Right. So everyone's savvy. Everyone's been there. And, and for the most part, you're obviously you're, you're fighting to get back, but you're just, you're playing ball the way you know how to play ball. When you get to the lower levels where guys are really trying, they're pressing and it's more stressful and all this, but AAA ball, I have a great time there because it's just a bunch of savvy grinders that have been through the ringer, yeah. you know, that have been on 25 man rosters, kind of the journeymen. Um, and you can just relax more and play baseball. So, I'll, you know, I, I was with the nationals in Syracuse who are now in Fresno. And then I was in El Paso this past season um, early on before I went to Japan to play. And, uh, and I had an absolute blast, you know, cause you're, you're trying to make a big league club, of course, but at the same time, you're just playing ball with your buddies. Right. You well, know, having a great time. One, one thing, Jamie, about uh, Sammy's career, which is kind of interesting for, for me is, you know, he had been a starter his whole life in college. He'd been a starter his first three years in the minor leagues and he keeps running into injuries and Tommy John and stuff. So they're like, well, let's throw him in the bullpen. So his first year in Harrisburg, which is the double A affiliate for the nationals, I think he threw four games. I think it was four, wasn't it, Sam? So it's, um, it's like, no, I threw two. Two games. Two. So he throws two games and he gets called up to the big leagues. He had been a relief pitcher for six minutes in his life. I mean, that's amazing. He had been a starter his whole life and he, he pitched two outings, did fine at Harrisburg. He gets called to the big leagues and he's a reliever in the big leagues. And he hasn't done it for five minutes in his life, much less in the big leagues. I mean, yeah, that was, that was a bit of a learning curve. Just, you know, because as a starter, you got a routine. I've got five days now to get ready. I know yeah. when to lift weights. I know when to start my stretching routine, all this stuff. And then you get to being a reliever and you're throwing every single day, yeah. you know, every day. So that learning on the fly, asking guys, hey, when do I even start stretching? What do I, you know, I have no, do I play catch before? Do I just get on the mound? I have no idea how this works. And, you know, trying to do that on the fly, you know, at the highest level in the world the big was, leagues, yeah. was uh, that was pretty tough. Well, how does, in, in that regard, now that, that you did that for four yeah. years in the major leagues and yeah. did sustain some injuries, how, how do you, and, and we all, you know, nobody wants to give way because of an injury, but how do you distinguish for your, yourself, your staff, and the manager, pitching coach, trainer, that dull aching soreness for a potentially season-ending injury? It, you know, it's tough as a reliever especially because you don't want to be the guy that says, I can't throw today. Yeah. So, you know, the, the manager, if he's any good, will come around every day and say, hey, you good to go? You good? You know, they usually just give you the thumbs up, thumbs down. And, and I'll tell you, if my arm, if I could lift it above my head, I was given the thumbs up. Well, you know, that it was real tough um, just grinding through that. And everyone's doing it, you know, and in, in May, it's fine. You know, okay, I'm hanging a little, but man, we've only been going for a couple months here. I'm fine. But, you, you know, come the dog days of August – it uh it's it's a little bit harder once you got 50 appearances under your belt and you're you know you're hanging and the manager says you're good and you're like man i've gone you know five of the last six days 
Right. Um, that's, it's definitely tough and you don't want to look like the softy saying, Hey, I need a day or two off. But, uh, that's one thing I think I'll take back with me when I hopefully get back to the big leagues is, is you gotta really stand up for yourself a little more. You gotta say, Hey, I can't go. You know, it, it, it seemed like in 2018 for the first two months of that season, and I'm not asking you to comment on anything other than my perception was it seemed like you got into five games out of every six for the first couple of months. And that, you know, that just can't help physically, no, who, whoever you are, whether yeah. you're, you're you or, or, you know, Kimbrell or anybody else, it's going to take its toll. And I, you know, I think uh, your dad would agree that the older you get, the smarter you get, at least on some things, right, Bob? Yeah. yeah, there's that fine line, Jamie, of you don't want to be the guy who's always injured or even claiming to be injured. And right. then at the same time, you don't want to pitch six days in a row because you're going to be dog meat and and then and then you know nobody cares, of course, that you might be injured. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a it's a fine line and and in 18 in particular, I, I don't know what the number was, but I think Sammy threw 30 of the first 45 games or, you know, some just crazy number. And then he had like, you know, what people don't pay attention to, but of course I as a dad would, was in the 15 games he didn't pitch, seven times he got up and warmed up and didn't go in. Yeah, so yeah. It's like, oh, my God. And, you know, so, that, you know, when, when you have a little fatigued arm, they wonder why, you know, it's just, it's a tough game. I mean, it yeah. is, you know, and, and you don't want to, you don't want to be the guy complaining about it because it, it's the same for everyone, right. but it is an important thing to discuss because it's the side of the game that fans don't really no. see and don't quite comprehend because we call it a dry hump when you get warmed up and you don't get in the game. So, you know, we, right. I had, I was on pace for 95 appearances in 2018 at one point I was, I, three we or three months into the season, I was the top reliever in, in appearances. And what you don't see is how many times I warmed up and didn't go in. So I ended the season, I think, with 56 appearances and 30 um, yeah. warm-ups. Yeah. So, so you got to, you know, you, now you got to say, okay, well, I was heating up as much as I could. So that's 90 or 86 appearances, you know, in, in 160 games. That is pretty damn tough. It's yeah. really tough. And, and I only threw one inning the last month of the season. You know, so you, you kind of condense it. You take away the month of September, and now I'm at 86 appearances, you know, in five months of the season. That's, it's, it's just tough. Yeah, and that, you know, that comes back to how, how a manager handles his pitching staff, which I'm sure is not easy to do. No, for, it is not. For a fan – you know, I say treat every game like game seven. And for a manager, he goes, hey, man, I got 162 plus another 20 if we're lucky. Yeah. And uh, it's, a, it's a fine line. And, and it is, you I know, think it's, expanding the roster one or two spots might help. Who knows? I mean, I don't for know. For sure. It is. You know, I think, you know, I was talking with uh, a couple years ago, um, a pitcher we had on our playoff team. It was actually in 2016. Um, and he was talking about being with the with the Dodgers the year before, and he had 81 appearances on the season in the game, but he only had one dry hump. So every time he warmed up, he went in the game, which is mentally for a pitcher, that's just fine. Physically, that's okay because when you when you're getting going, you know you're going in. 
Yeah. You know, no it's kidding. it's this yeah. hurry up and wait kind of thing that's that's a grind, you know, throughout the season is hey, get going. Okay, hold on. Okay, get going. Okay, sit down. You know, those those are the things that wear on you. Yeah. So yeah. You know, it's, it's then tough. You, then you come into the game and throw Ten more pitches from the mound, which I, you know I know you got to get used to the game mound versus the bullpen, but it just it it always strikes me as kind of wait this guy's been I, I I saw one of the only two spring training games I think they had this year, and I watched some guy that the Cubs had picked up and he must have thrown for thirty minutes before he got into the game. He'd stop for a minute and then he'd get going again, and then he gets called in. He goes and throws another. 10 or 10 pitches and it's like oh my god the guy's just thrown half of a full game I was gonna say the guy's thrown two innings before he's before he's gotten in the game he did so it's it is tough and it is you know you do have to be accountable it's on you to figure out how to warm up yeah you know each time um which is why another thing in the bullpen is you realize that specified roles for guys really matter you know a, a guy who pitches the eighth inning should not be looking over his shoulder wondering if the phone calls for him in the fifth. Right. You know, it's, it's really important to have these set roles because, you know, I remember in 2018 with the Nats, my last year, I, I had thrown the night before in the eighth and in the fourth inning, the phone rang and they told me to get going. I hadn't even stood up yet, you know, so it's, yeah. that's, that's a real tough thing. And that wears on, you know, months after yeah. month after month in the big leagues, it's just, it's real tough to be prepared when you don't know when you should be prepared, and, you know, and it's, it's that's, tough, that's uh, the side of the game. People don't see it's and, tough, it, and uh, it's kind of, kind of interesting, Jamie, that, you know, two of Sammy's strengths um, end up being a detriment in some ways uh, to his health. Uh, his strengths, of course, being that it doesn't really matter whether it's righties or lefties, he can get both sides out and historically has done that. So managers feel comfortable with him staying in for extended periods of time. And then, of course, he was a starting pitcher his whole life. So he's very comfortable pitching two or three innings. Well, that's great until you start, you know, counting up the pitches in the arm and the, during the season. Right. And, uh, and you, you end up with kind of a situation where a guy who can get both sides of the plate out and who can go multiple innings, it's not the best – it's not the best thing for your health. Yeah. Well, when uh, Nellie and I had our sports representation, we had a kid named Al Jones who had gone to Alcorn State, got drafted, was the minor league player of the year in AAA at Denver for the White Sox, made the team one year because he didn't give up any anything during spring training. And – you know, he's the last guy on the team. And this is back when teams had infield practice and, and took fungos in the outfield. So they're at Fenway Park and Jonesy's hitting, hitting fungos. It starts to rain. Everybody runs off the field. And back then, the visitors dug out at Fenway had um, railroad ties at the top. And his spikes slipped on the wet tie and he instinctively reached up for the dugout roof and tore all the friggin' cartilage in his arm, but oh wouldn't, but didn't tell anybody. Oh, so he had what was left of his arm. He get he gets up a couple times during the game, and then in the tenth inning, he gets called in with the bases loaded, 
and he strikes out Rice, Armas, and Evans, who Sammy may never have heard of, but these guys are all Jim Rice and uh, the sure. rest of that crew. And he gets the the Sox get a run in the top of the 11th, and somebody else comes in for the save, and that's the last game he ever pitched. Wow. Oh, my God. That was it. That was my only player, my only guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Better go to work for the railroad, you know. Hey, yep. There you go. Let's talk about Nelly for a few minutes before I yeah. let you guys go. Um, you know, Bob, I'm still always curious how you first met Dave. Yeah, I met Dave. Um, I used to live in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Sammy did, too, as a young as a young man, you know, one, two, three-year-old. And uh, I was in charge of a charity golf tournament on, uh, for a place called Queen Louise Home for Children. And we brought down 32 Major League Baseball players every year and their wives. And I started working on that for, oh, more than 25 years, but I started in 1990. And so it was 93 and somebody didn't show up. One of our celebrities didn't show up and people were paying pretty good money to play with these guys. So we were looking for a last minute replacement. And I asked Don Denkinger, uh, the former American the, League umpire. The, let me say the best umpire in the history of the game. Yeah, well, that would be your definite perspective. Uh, St. Louis has a different opinion to that. But uh, <laughs> at any rate, so I asked Don, I go, hey, you know anybody that lives in Florida that might want to come down here and help with this tournament, a former player or current player? And, uh, and he, uh, he said, well, you might want to try Davey Nelson. He lives in Florida. So I didn't know Dave Nelson from a hole in the wall, honestly. And as the story goes, as I always told Dave, you know, being the kind and generous person he was, he immediately said, yeah, I'll get on a plane and flew from Fort Myers to St. Croix, and then for the next 20-some years, we could never get rid of the guy. There you go. <laughs> well, and there's... You know, he became a, obviously, you know, I don't have to, all three of us on this call uh, knew Dave well, and uh, he was one of a kind, and uh, Sammy, uh, you know, had experiences with him, but the one that was probably most fun when I turned 50, I guess it was seven years ago, had a big birthday, and my wife says, well, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I want to go to South Africa, see the kids at open arms with Dave and with Sammy and with our friend of Sam that wants to come and we'll, we'll see the kids and then we'll go play golf, which is what we did for a week. And uh, Sam, of course, got to really know Dave uh, that week. And uh, it was a magical time. You know, one of those things you look back in your life and you go, oh, thank God we did that. Right. And, uh, and, you know, just talked baseball the whole week and had a lot of cocktails and talked about uh, orphan kids and helping them. And Sammy talked baseball. He had not made the major leagues yet. So Dave was a, a, a great source of information. So, um, Sam, I don't know if you have recollections of that week, but, man, that was, a, that was an epic week. Yeah, it was. You know, I mean, meeting Dave um, after – you know what's funny is after having – Dusty Baker is my manager. He actually knew Dave really well. Right. They were, they were kind of young bucks together back in the big leagues. Um, so hearing some stories from him was cool. But, but after getting to know both of those guys, they're really the same kind of guy. Like I would sit, we'd sit every night on that trip in South Africa with Dave and we'd have a glass of wine and just, we'd kind of shoot the shit. And he did, I mean, there was not a ball player that I had ever heard of that he didn't have a personal story about. You know, he had, he was just this guy that had touched so many people 
you know, where it was like, I mean, you could, you could tell a, a story about literally, I'm, you take out the baseball encyclopedia and he's like, Oh yeah, I remember that guy. You know, we, we used to kind of shoot the shit back in the day as ball. Play. I'm like, Oh my God. So he was just like the, he was like the Renaissance man of the game. He yeah. first, he wiped the floor with us on the golf course. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> you know, he's the, he's the guy that can shoot at about 220 right down the middle every time while I'm, you know, 400 off to the right. So it was, it was just a really cool thing getting to know Davey, um, not only as, as a broadcaster and as a baseball guy, but just as a person, you know, seeing all the kids at, at open arms light up when they saw him walk into the room, you know, Uncle Davey. Um, and now they have a dedicated house, you know, down there um, yes. for him. It's just, it's no coincidence, you know, that we all, you know, kind of light up when we talk about Dave Nelson. No, that's so funny that you, that that's such a great, a great recollection and a great summation of one of his great attributes. And that was, he did, he had a story for everybody that was in that 1960s, 1970s. And then when yep. he coached in the eighties and the nineties and broadcast, he, um, he, he really did uh, not only have stories, but he, he touched so many people, but um you know, he, it. Uh, I, I don't remember his golf game the way you do, but other than that, I think it's spot on. The one thing you know, uh, the one thing you know, Jamie, is he was competitive. You can't be at that level of athleticism without being competitive. So it was me and Dave against uh, Sammy and his buddy Mike. So it was them hitting the ball 380 yards and us hitting it 250 at best. But uh, but Dave, Dave, uh, he had a week that was. Probably the best, you know, week of golf he ever played in his it life. Was, I mean, the guy was coming off two knee replacements, and he's still yeah. just smashing the ball. It was incredible. Yeah, he That's he was great. on fire that week, and I think we had four or five matches, and I think me and Dave won them all by one stroke. But um, and that was just because Nelly was on fire that week. You know, the other thing was there ever anybody that was better dressed for any sporting event? Yeah, I know. Or drinking. You know, he always had, he always had great attire. He uh, yep. went when uh, when he was in Kansas City, and I was getting out of the military. He had what I called a pink Porsche, and I used to give him grief about that. And of course, he'd say it was magenta, and I, I had no idea what that meant. But uh, you know, his his uh, license plate said Black Magic, and uh, you know, he just he he fit in with every every team he was with and everybody I, I go to shows and get autographs of these guys that I pay over inflated amounts of money for. And I usually lead with a, Hey, you know, Nelly says to say hello, blah, 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 to get maybe a, an extra second with these guys. And I, I did that with Nolan Ryan. And of course they've got hit by Nolan Ryan as many times as I think anybody, they used to publish <laughs> a list of guys. And so Nolan, <laughs> Nolan said, yeah, that old, you know, and it was a Texas draw. Yeah. And Nelly would go, yeah, you know, uh, I was batting against him and he was with the Angels. I was with the Rangers and the Angels were up about eight runs. And all of a sudden I get this inside fastball and you could see the seam marks on my ribs. I couldn't breathe. Oh. Bobby Hara gets, comes over to me and says, Dave, Dave, get up. Don't let him know it hurts you. And of course, <laughs> You can we can see Dave going, huh? You know, with that. So yeah. Nelly, 
starts going out towards Nolan. And, of course, Dave ain't going to fight anybody, but the umpire didn't know that. He gets close to Nolan, and, and Ryan go, and Dave goes, what in the hell were you doing? You got an eight-run lead. And Ryan looks at him and goes, Dave, that's for stealing second, third, and home off me in double-A baseball. <laughs> that's awesome. That was the era, man. These guys just didn't yep. forget. They just never forget. Yep. How much yep. fun. Well, this, yeah. is, this has been fun. I'm going to let Sammy get on with walking uh, the dog. I think his name is Baloney. Is that right? <laughs> his name is Baloney. Wow. And <laughs> He's a some people would say most of my podcasts are full of Baloney, but this has been <laughs> fun for me. You guys are great, Bob, as always. Sammy, thank you very much for doing this. This is the yeah. first podcast with more than one one uh, Love it. Yes. So this is his great. Yeah, I've, I've never done honored. a podcast. Either, so let's let's do this again sometime. Yeah. We will absolutely do it again and maybe right. uh, maybe baseball will get closer to opening and we'll uh, we'll yeah. get back on and talk a little bit more about some of the stuff that is gonna happen this year with Sammy's rehab. Definitely. Yeah. That sounds great. Hopefully I'll be thrown off the mound by then. All right, guys. Stay healthy. Be yeah, safe. And loved all your families. You Thank too. You. You Thank well. you for the time. That was fun. All right, guys. See Later. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.